Well, hello to our wonderful fans and loyal listeners. This is Chester Jones coming at you. I'm the producer of Brothers on Tennis. I'm coming to you a little under the weather today. It uh, seems like everyone has the flu and it did not skip me today, but um, I wanted to come on and continue the best of series that Bryce and Isaac has started uh, here for season one of Brothers on Tennis. And my episode that I'm going to add to this list um, is Brothers on Tennis episode number 25, the one where Miss Nancy joined us for an exhilarating interview with her son, Bryce, or Kenneth, as you guys have come to know him uh, through that episode, matter of fact. Um, the reason why I'm choosing this episode is because I, I it's for several reasons, really. I, I love the banter between um, mother and son on a sport that they absolutely love. I thought the discussion was was titillating <laughs> and uh, had a lot of fire and, and passion in it. And, and it really showed the, the passion and love that they both have for the sport. And Miss Nancy is, is a, a character all uh, of her own. You know, she has a lot of zest and a lot of passion just for life anyway. Uh, and that spilled over into the interview. Uh, and I think that made the interview um, a fun one to, to listen to and a fun one to produce as well. Um, so that is my pick or my choice for uh, the best of series. This will be the last best of uh, selection in this series for season one of Brothers on Tennis. When we come back to you in our very next episode, we will start season two, which will kick off the 2020 season of tennis. Uh, we are looking forward to diving in. We're looking forward to bringing you all that you have heard in season one and even more uh, when we come back to you in season two. So without further ado, please enjoy Brothers on Tennis, episode 25. Miss Nancy goes in. Happy holidays, listeners. This is your boy Bryce from Brothers on Tennis. Look, I'm here to present you a very, very special episode today. Um, one thing that you may recognize immediately is that I'm solo today. I'm without my partner in crime. And uh, I think he's in Denver. <laughs> he's at home visiting friends and family for the holidays. So I hope things are going well. Can't wait to get you back in Cali. But more to the special episode today. I am so excited to bring to you a person that I've known a very long time that knows just as much about tennis, maybe more than I do in certain areas, and is, I think, just a real joy of a person to talk to about the sport of tennis. And that person is none other than my mother. Say hey, Mom. Say hey, Mom. Hi, Kenneth. <laughs> you know what, son? Let, let me interject this right now because your listening audience know you by Bryce, 
and you don't use your first name. Mothers always call their sons by their first name. And yours is now known to everybody now, Kenneth, because I certainly won't be in tuned calling you Bryce. So I'm and that, fine. And I'm that fine. is fine. And so there is the history lesson on my name. <laughs> but um, yes, as you can tell, this is going to be a very interesting and spicy interview here. So my mom uh, is a critical figure in my life in terms of introducing me to the sport of tennis. And over the years, we have just had all kinds of conversations about tennis, whether it's about players, whether it's about coaches, the different tournaments, the different surfaces. My mom truly keeps up with it all. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode probably as much as I'm going to enjoy recording it. But before we get going with the questions, Mom, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listening audience? Okay. My name is Nancy, and I am Kenneth Bryce's mom. I am also a retired uh, senior citizen who spent almost 40 years in education, and I am a competitive Scrabble player and an avid tennis fan. So mom, tell us a little more about your tennis background. How did you get introduced to the game? Well, in my household, we grew up watching baseball, basketball, wrestling. It wasn't until uh, I was with my brother-in-law who played tennis that he began to uh, introduced me to tennis along with Kenneth's father and uh, the game just seemed very interesting. It seemed as if it was easy to play. That is not the case. Uh, <laughs> when we first, we, we immediately, we immediately, Kenneth's father was someone, if he was interested in something, he went out and bought all the gear. So we immediately went out and bought balls, bought rackets and and went to a public court and just thought we could play tennis. All, every ball we hit, each of us, it was like you were sending a ball to heaven. You didn't know when it was coming <laughs> down. You didn't know, and, and I couldn't understand that. I didn't know anything about where your ball should make contact with the racket, still can't do that. But uh, we, <laughs> we, most of our time was spent looking up, waiting for the ball to fall down. So we've all been there again. <laughs> <laughs> we have definitely all been there. So would you say then that you are more of a spectator with the game of tennis versus a player nowadays? Not only nowadays, those days too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, here's a good way that we start to learn kind of where people are in terms of the game of professional tennis. We'd like to kind of hear who are some of the people that they follow or maybe have even followed in the past. So, Mom, who are some of the players that you used to follow? We'll call them the old school players. They're retired now, but they were playing back when you first started watching. Okay. Martina Navratilova. I mispronounced that, but I think everybody knows Martina. Um, mm-hmm. Billie Jean King. Um, Zena Garrison. Yes. Uh, Monica Sellers. It's a lot of them. Jennifer Capriotti. Uh, let's see. Um, 
Gabrielle Sabatini. Oh, Arancha uh, Sanchez, Vicario. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Those were, are some of my favorites. Okay, were there any guys that you liked back then? Pete Sanford. Sanford. Uh. Okay. Um, uh, Stefan Edberg. Uh, Beyond Borg. Uh, Mats Wielander. Arthur Ashe. Okay. So, all right, so that kind of gives us a, a nice cross-section from the old school players. So just give me a couple of the men and women of today that you uh, appreciate their, their tennis styles. Well, I think I probably have to give you more than a couple for the women, because if I said the women sisters, that's just, that's your couple right there. Oh, the Williams sisters? <laughs> yeah, that's your couple right there. So in fairness to the other families who have people playing tennis, I think I should name a few more. Uh, today, I like uh, Kavitova, Ash Barty, uh, Azarenka. Uh, those are some of my favorites. Okay. What about the men? Rafael Nadal. <laughs> I knew I that. To say it again. I am his number one fan, even though he doesn't know it. Uh, I did get to see him uh, play uh, when he was playing uh, in Cincinnati one year, but I was so high up in the stand, he didn't. He didn't know his favorite uh, fan was there. Um, I'm sure he felt it. <laughs> <laughs> but Rafael Nadal, uh, I do like Roger Federer. Um, uh, Dimitrov, um, Nishikori, and I have a lot of respect for Djokovic game. Okay, you and Isaac have that Dimitrov thing in common, <laughs> so, but we don't have that Garcia thing in common. Caroline Garcia, yeah, he's gonna love hearing that, <laughs> <laughs> Isaac Shade. Um, but anyway, now before we get off of the players, give me just a couple of what we call the next-gen players, these players that are just kind of coming out right now and are challenging the Williams sisters and your Rogers and your Rafas. Um, are there any of them that you have a particular liking to? Well, would Coco Goff be included in that group? Absolutely. Well, because she just beat Venus. <laughs> she did. <laughs> and uh, uh, Sophia Kennan, she's, she's very, very tough. She is. Um, uh, and so I like Katie McNally's game too because she kind of has that serving volley thing going, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, Sabalinka and uh, Sakari, Sakari from, from Greece. Yeah, Sakari is good. You like any of the new guys? Oh, yeah. Um, I hope everybody knows who FAA is. He's from Canada. Yeah. I can Felix, say his first I, name is Felix. I, yeah, Ajer Aliassim. Yes, that's the AA part. Um, uh, Shapapalo, Sissy Paz. Um, Medvedez, I respect his game. I cannot say he's a favorite player, but I do respect his game. He has a very, very good game and a team. Okay, okay. Those are all some real up and comers. I mean, they're, I mean, Cece Pass just won the year end championships, and we saw how well uh, I think Medvedev won the most number of matches of any male player this year. So, yeah, they are definitely on the move. 
Okay. So, so since you've been following the game for such a long period of time, um, I'm sure you've seen many changes uh, across the landscape of the professional tennis world. You know, what are some of those major changes you've seen? Well, one of the most important to me is the equal prize money uh, at the Grand Slams for women and men. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a major, major uh, accomplishment for tennis um, because there are no empty seats in the stadiums when you're, in grand, when you're at Grand Slam tournaments, whether they are men or whether they are women. So uh, they're getting the number of people attending, so the purse is still big. And I just feel like it was a long time coming, but I'm, I'm very, very happy that it's, there's equal pay for uh, men and for women. Um, well, because didn't they used to try to justify not paying the women as much because they said they weren't as big of a draw as the men? Yep. Yep. And you can't say that anymore. You know, I mean, I don't think that was true in the beginning. Uh, but but uh, thanks to Venus Williams, uh, you know, she's credited with um, helping the ATP uh, tournament, the major tennis tournament for, and that may not be right. I don't know, is that the right one to, to it say? It was Wimbledon. It was Wimbledon was the one that still had not done equal pay wh where the rest of the Grand Slams had. So she she particularly took that up to task to make sure that they came along as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a big, that was a, that was very huge. So uh, what was the question again now? What were some of the major? Well, it was just, you know, didn't they try to justify that women didn't bring in as many uh, people to the, to the tournaments as the men did? Yeah, and... no, I've, I've got that, but I thought you had another part to your question. Oh, no, I, I hadn't. And I was just getting ready to say that it's hard to imagine that there's a bigger draw than Serena Williams. I mean, of course, Rafa and, and Roger are up there as well, but Serena Williams has to be one of the biggest draws in professional tennis, men or women. That's right. And men, yeah. men and women both enjoy watching Serena. <laughs> right, exactly. So now... I'm sure there are some things in the game that you feel haven't changed that still need to change. Uh, or, you know, is there anything there, anything you want to specifically mention or bring up? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this. And um, one of the things that, um, and this kind of really became central to me once the, switching sports now, once the, um, New Orleans Saints um, weren't given credit for a play uh, last year, which would have advanced them closer to the Super Bowl, even though the cameras showed that um, they should have been awarded, I don't know whether it was more yardage or points or what have you. And um, once again, the decision was based on the referees. One of the things that I think definitely should be changed in tennis, I think that when there are challenge calls, the result should always come from Hawkeye. And that is, it should not be interpretations or those calls should not be made, whether they for or against the player, based on human beings. 
Um, as far as I know it, they don't give referees an eye test every time there's a tennis match. They don't see whether they have a maybe uh, maybe not be feeling 100% where maybe they're not totally focused. But uh, if they used Hawkeye, which is the uh, computer um, way of indicating whether a ball is in or out, I think that makes a big difference because many players have lost some matches after the fact when they say, oh, that ball was in. Oh, that ball was out. That's not and, fair. That's and you not- know what? I, I think, you know, what you're even alluding to is what the current controversy is. is most of the tournaments on grass and hard court and indoor do use Hawkeye now. Uh, but there has been resistance to use it on the clay courts because the argument has been that the ball leaves a mark. And so you can go check that mark on a clay court. But I think they've had some some instances where... Shot spot showed that the ball did skid off the line and did made a mark outside of the the regulation of play, which would have made that ball good versus if you just look at the, at the mark afterwards, you would just think that shot was out. But, you know, also in conjunction with what you're saying, sometimes they're not looking at the right mark. Right. Uh, exactly. Yep. And And I really think this is, you know, easily solvable. And that means just use the electron, I mean, the technology. Use the technology. You have Hawkeye. Think about it. When a player challenges the call, what do they go to? They go to Hawkeye. Does anybody question Hawkeye? No. So why not just let them use Hawkeye in the beginning? Then, you know, that would uh, stop from slowing down the game since it's going to be the final authority anyway. Right. That's one of the issues I think we've had over the years with the game of tennis. It's been so steeped in traditionalism that they're very slow to change. Um, And uh, although there have been a lot of changes in the game of tennis, I think they typically are very slow to make them across the board. But other than that, you know, are, are there other things that you would like to see changed in the game? Um. Thinking of any right now, uh, I'm sure something might come to that was one of the big things, uh, definitely, uh, that the electronic scoring, you know, should be used. Um, well, where there's one, one more thing, too. I think that, uh, and this is a biggie, um, I think that they should change the end of the year tournament uh, to different surfaces. Uh, when you talk about the men's end of the year tournament, it's always an indoor tournament. Now, that provides a. Uh, um, and same thing for the women, a, by the way. Okay, that provides an advantage to certain types of players. And see, the thing is, they have that advantage every year. I think that they should rotate the surfaces. One year, the end of the year tournament should be on clay, another year on hard court another year on grass, and you could still have one year indoor, but it's just not fair uh, for all of the indoor, for all of the end of the year tournaments to be indoor. I mean, you, you certain people are automatically favored based on their game. Right. And I know we've heard uh, Rafa Nadal uh, speak out against us, uh, feeling that this wasn't fair um, from his perspective as well. 
Well, yeah, because, you know, if you look at any of the surfaces, you could identify certain players who perform best on, let's just say, clay. Uh, Roger performs best on grass. I mean, I mean, when you're at the top of the game, all of them perform well on all of the surfaces, else they wouldn't be at the top of the game. However, uh, it just shouldn't be that, okay, every end of the year tournament's going to be indoor. That is not fair. There should be equity in that. And I don't see why that's a hard thing to accomplish. Right. And it may be something that they change one day. Um, like I was saying, though, unfortunately, they're very slow uh, to make changes uh, like this. So, well, look, let's let's do something kind of fun here. So uh, you are very opinionated on various topics in the game of tennis. So what I want to do is I want to have a hot topic section here. Uh, we'll go rapid fire. I'll give you a topic and then I will just allow you to take the floor and you can give us your thoughts on that particular subject. So what if I have some, what if I have some topics, I have some hot topic information on. Well, let's start with yours then. <laughs> well, I, no, let's start with yours. Cause you might, you might ask someone. So let's start with yours. Okay, then. Well, the first one, of course, is a very hot topic in tennis, and that is will or will not Serena tie and or break Margaret Court's Grand Slam singles title record? She's currently one behind Margaret Court. I think as soon as she fires her coach, she has a better <laughs> chance of doing that. Patrick <gasps> is not doing the job. It is his job to have her mentally prepared when she gets to the finals. Serena has been in four finals since the birth of her daughter. There is no way, given her talent, that she should not be mentally prepared to win a final. She did it when Serena would get to the finals before, it was almost a given that she was going to win. I think. Patrick Matagalu, and I hope I'm pronouncing the name close enough, um, he has divided interests now. He is um, part of Coco Goff's, you know, uh, coaching staff, or at least she goes to his academy. Sissy Poss is one of his, and they are both great players, and I like them both. But Serena needs someone whose full attention is on her. And I think that if he hasn't done the job to have her mentally prepared, remember, I don't know if you remember, it was at the U.S. Open. Um, she was in the first round. And uh, he said, normally Serena doesn't like to know who she's playing. But in this case, I told her she was playing Sharapova. And, <laughs> <laughs> and anybody's been following tennis, you have to know Serena and Sharapova's kind of history. You know, uh, whereas they're both champions, uh, Serena is a super champion, and whereas they're both fierce competitors, have great uh, strength in the game, um, Sharapova is, is, is not in the same category as Serena. So what I'm saying is that he knew that that was a psychological effect of letting Serena know that in the first round of the U.S. Open, she would be meeting Sharapova. Now, 
I don't say that he has to be a sports psychologist, but there is just no way, given her, her, her talent, that she doesn't even bring her best game. She brings one of her poor, poorest game to the Grand Slam finals, uh, and that's after having reached that, um, that uh, those finals after having given birth. So I really think that she needs a new coach. And, and if I may continue on that a little bit, you see, Patrick, he was cheating, cheating when she was playing uh, Osaka. In the, in the, what, what final, what uh, Grand Slam was that? Kim? That that was the U.S. Open final in okay, uh, 2018. Okay. Now, all of the time, Arsene and Richard coached their daughters, Venus and Serena. Not only did they not cheat, they never came on the court to give them any kind of instructions because they they wanted them to figure it out themselves. Right. Now he's up there looking like he's moving a train up and down. Like nobody <laughs> knows what that is. But, and so when she was accused of cheating, she said, no, we, we don't do that. We don't do that. Well, not only did was he caught on camera, he had to admit it. He had to admit it. So first of all, that's uh, the, the thing that really got her upset in that finals that she had against Osaka because uh, she really felt that she was being accused as a cheater. It wasn't Serena, it was her coach. And therefore, um, I don't know, I just think she needs a new coach. I, I really thought she should have fired him after that. I mean, and, and then the other thing is that, you know, he commentates sometimes for ESPN. And I just knew ESPN wasn't gonna have him doing that anymore. But yes, they did. I mean, they had him still coming, giving comments and commentating a little bit. And, you know, I, I have my issues with ESPN too, but uh, we, we'll talk about that later. You know. Well, and, and oh, well, ESPN. Well, 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 just a minute, excuse me. Let me talk about it now. Let me talk about it now, because I might forget. I just think there should be, um, with all of the diversity in women's tennis and men's tennis, I think there should be more diversity in the um, announcer's booth. And I'll just leave it at that. So what I was trying to get in before is that with Patrick, probably one of the things that ESPN is trying to lock themselves into is that up until now, he has been an entry point into Serena and or the Williams sisters camp. They probably also see him as an entry point into the future as well because of his association with Coco Golf and with CeCe Pass, who they probably see as future champions on the tour. So that is probably a bit of an incentive for them to keep him a little bit still in the fold uh, for the network. I can yeah, definitely but, see but them doing know, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry, son. Uh, they can always have him on uh, to interview him as a guest. But to have him commentating where he is getting paid you know, money for that as well as coaching Serena. Uh, I just don't think he, sh I, I don't think they should have kept him, especially when he admitted, do you remember he admitted he was cheating? I do. He admitted it because the cameras caught him. He said, yeah, yeah, he said, yeah, I was cheating. I was cheating. Everybody cheats. Well, I don't <laughs> want a coach doing what everybody does. 
And he even tried to ride out Sasha. And he said Sasha was doing the same thing Sasha during the was, finals. And that, and that was not the case. That was <laughs> not the case. That was not the case. Because, you know, I'm sorry, we may be staying on this a little too long, but I think he's the reason that Serena uh, uh, fired Sasha. I think he knew that Serena and Sasha had a great relationship. He wasn't officially her coach, but he was a hitting partner, and he'd been a part of that family for a very, very long time, and, you know, he still is. They are still very close. In fact, uh, when Serena had her daughter, they said Sasha was at the hospital every day, and and I don't think they lived that far from each other. So I think that um, uh, Patrick was maybe a little jealous of the um, the uh, friendship that Sasha and uh Serena had, and he's the one. I'm sure Serena just wouldn't have wouldn't have fired him because he was a kid. He was her hitting partner. He wasn't a coach, but again, you know, Serena, excuse me, Serena had listened to him a lot. So I know I'm going on a little too much about this, but Patrick, no, I think Serena should fire him. Nobody else may have thought about it, may not have said it, but this is brothers on tennis, so we can say what we want to say, right? There you go. So, since you're talking about Patrick as a commentator, uh, tell us about, tell us your thoughts on some other commentators. Who are some of your favorites? Who are some of your not-so-favorites? Well, I think Chris McHenry is just a true professional. Yeah. I just think she is, she is a class above. She is just a class above. You know, they had to, well, I shouldn't say this, but, um, you know, Chris Fowler used to um, have that position, but... Um, um, I'm glad they have her because uh, she's just a pleasant person. She's very knowledgeable. She doesn't do anything to try to agitate or put the other commentators on spot. Um, uh, and, and she's great. Uh, the way I value commentators is how knowledgeable they are and whether the advice that they give are what they even see in players and in the game, you know, makes good tennis sense. And there are just some who are very, very good at that. Um, Renee Stubbs is very good at that. Um, Lindsay Davenport, she didn't start off being great. I remember when Lindsay first started, it was almost like somebody had to tap her on the shoulder and say, okay, it's time for you to speak. But uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, is, she is better now. But you know who I really, really like? And you do know this, son. You know this. Right. But I'll tell right. you. I'll tell your <laughs> audience. Shonda Rubin. Yeah. Shonda is great. She's she our favorite, too. She is exceptional, you know. And um, uh, did I mention Renee Stubbs? You did. Okay, yeah. So those would be some of my... Um, my favorites. Now, I know to many people, they think, well, you didn't name Chris Everett, and you didn't name Chris Everett was a great, great tennis player. Um, she was never my favorite, but I remember her game, because I like a more aggressive game. I like the serve and volley game for the women. I liked Martina's style uh, better, but Chris was, was very, very good. I mean, it's no doubt about that. But I think uh, when you get into broadcasting, you have to know that there's a big difference between being a great tennis player and then being a great commentator. Um, um, I, I, 
that is not uh, Chris Everett's calling, being a commentator. And she's not the only one, but she has such a prominent, you know, role, um, you know, with ESPN. So, and I know it's because of her uh, success in tennis, but I think commentators should be hired for what they do based on their skill level there. Now, that's just my opinion. Right, but as no. you said, you've already told your audience, I have opinions about everything. Right. And you are proving that right. So <laughs> let's let's jump to one that I know you have a definite opinion on. There's a lot of talk right now about this whole goat race on the men's side between Roger Federer, Nadal is just one behind him, and total Grand Slam singles titles. And then Djokovic is, I think, what, three behind Nadal. So how do you think all of this is going to shake out? Well, first of all, I don't think the greatest of all time should be based on the number of grand slams. Uh, singles titles, okay. That's right. Should not be based on the number of grand slam singles titles. You know, um, that is too one-dimensional. Not when you're going to use the word greatest of all time. Um, um, I think that you should look at all of the things they do in tennis. Now, for example, Chris Everett was very, very good playing baseliner tennis. Very good, okay? Um, but that was her game. That was, that was just basically, you know, her game, and, that, and that's great. But there were other players who played very great on all surfaces and also had more variety in their game. Uh, Steffi Graf, you know, she was a strong baseliner, but she was a, a very aggressive player. Monica Salas, sadly, you know, her career was cut short. I'm sure your audi audience know about this due to a stabbing um, uh, by, um, I, I think, a German when she was playing Stephanie Graf in Germany. Uh, but would you well, she wasn't she wasn't playing Steffi, but that that fan wanted. Steffi to become number one again. You're right, you're right, you're yeah. right. Thanks for the correction. You're right, you're right. But um, when you look at Martina Navratilova, I don't know why I'm having a hard time pronouncing her name, uh, probably because I'm new doing this. Um, you look at everything that she's accomplished, you know, in singles, in women's doubles, in mixed doubles. Um, I mean, serve, volley, um, a counterpunch, uh, speed, um, you name it. Uh, she, to me, was an all-around player. And yet, Steffi has more grand slams, but... Um, and singles only. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because if you were to look at the full body of work, and that's what I think they should look at, the full body of work, you know, what did this person accomplish? And sometimes certain people are not able to even put themselves in a position to do uh, everything. Because you remember um, Martina Navratilova is from Czechoslovakia. So, you know, she grew up playing tennis there, but she ended up, you know, uh, defecting to the United States, which was our, our blessing, truly our blessing. Um, so I just really think that, that, that that's a bone for me. I don't think... I mean, Steffi was great, but I could not say that I would say Steffi would be the greatest of all time. 
I think Martina's record, her body of work is just much more impressive. Even though Steffi's body of work is very impressive. I right. think she won the, um, what, the, the Grand Slams, what, four well, times in a row? Well, no, well, she won the Golden Slam, which meant in a calendar year, she won all four Grand Slam singles titles, plus the Olympics gold medal. Yes. Yes. And and I think the other point that you were referring to is that she won each one of the individual Grand Slam singles titles at least four times each. Yes. But she didn't win any mixed doubles. She didn't right. win. Or did she? I don't think not mixed. Not mixed doubles. And I I can't remember what the exact number is, and the listeners will remember. I'm you know, I feel the same way about Martina Navratilova. Martina has the most number of titles when you add all events, singles, doubles, mixed doubles, tour titles, uh, Grand Slam titles. She is number one, and it was not even close to who was number two to her. So I agree with you. I do think that a lot of accomplishments are not taken into consideration when they say the greatest of all time, because just looking at singles, Grand Slam titles, is very one-dimensional. Well, I've even heard Martina uh, comment on that, and it was she who said they should look at the total body of work, and that was so well said, and that is the truth if you're going to talk about the greatest of all time. So um, hopefully, if Serena, and I'm I'm really hoping that she's going to do it, I believe she's going to do it, I believe she is going to not only tie Margaret Court, I think she's going to exceed Margaret Court. And then there won't be any question about who is the greatest of all time. <laughs> right. So back to kind of the men, uh, what do you think about this race between Federer, Rafa, and Djokovic? Well, you know, Rafa is my favorite. I, I don't do. dislike. I don't dislike Federer at all. I mean, I like him, you know, I do respect him. He's done a lot for tennis. Um, I definitely respect Djokovic's game. I remember when Djokovic first came on the circuit, he was so ill at ease and he was always trying to make people laugh. He was very good at um, uh, just doing funny things, you know, on the court. And uh, sadly, you know, and I think it's uh, curious who says that um, Djokovic is just trying to get people to love him, you know? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I digress right now. I digress. The boot toss. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, I have to digress right here. Because, you know, Curios, who is from Australia, if he had the, what is the word I want to use? If he had the focus Discipline. That's the word. That's exactly the word. If he had the discipline, there is nothing he couldn't do on the court. He is exceptional. And that's even without trying. You know, I think most of the time he doesn't even have a coach. And (laughs) I cannot see him out there practicing hours a day. He is just so talented. But he is an immature player. And I, and I hate to say that because there may be something else going on that he is not able to control. I mean, I don't mean to try to diagnose anybody. I, I, I mean, I'm just a tennis uh, fan, you know. 
But I think he has frustrated every coach that has worked with him. It doesn't seem to bother him whether he wins or he loses. He might regret that later on in his life. But everybody knows that had he brought his A game all the time, um, he would really be in the record books. But I can say the same thing for, for, for Monfils. Now, Monfils, to me, just enjoys playing, and he enjoys entertaining the crowd. Right. Um, he plays a defensive game all the way through. When he has the ability, ability to be uh, as aggressive as anybody out there, he has the speed. He, he, can, he can do vertical jumps. Um, he, can, he can place the ball anywhere. Uh, one of the things that is lacking, it seems to be his fitness, because he seems to tire out sometimes. And the majority of his career, I think, had Manfis played to the level of ability that he has, he would have been, I'm not sure we'd even be talking about Roger or, or well, I still kind of think we'd be talking about Nadal. I mean, <laughs> oh, no. Nah. Look at Teddy, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know you know what I think Nadal has that uh, a lot of players do not have and it underwear was, that doesn't fit I say what underwear that doesn't fit oh Kenneth uh uh-uh. uh no 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 I, I, I can't go there because I, I'm not gonna go there what I think he has um, you know how Nadal put pays attention to everything, even where his water bottles are placed. Mm-hmm. OCD. Well, okay. But in this case, if that's what he has, it's good. It's good for tennis. Because, what is it, Paul Anacom, who was uh, once a Federalist coach, he said in a, in, in a broadcast not too many weeks ago, I think it was Jim Currier who asked him, maybe it wasn't Jim, but somebody asked him, if you had to pick one tennis player who could get you through or to help you, whatever, who would you pick? And immediately he said Rafa Nadal, even though he had coached Federer and he knows Federer is a good player. He said, because there's no quit in him. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he doesn't become a prisoner of the past. Like, oh, I missed that shot. It's missed. He's completely focused on the next shot. And for him, the match isn't over until the match is over. Uh, there's just no quitting him. Some players see that they are not winning, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, where then they just kind of give up. Nadal would, would literally almost die on the court. And, and, and what I like about him, I remember when he first came out as a player, I mean, I just like that the way he was dressed. He kind of had those kind of, I don't know what you call those pants that come down to the knee. The Capri, the Capri shorts. Okay. They, they weren't short, though, Kenneth. They came down to the knee. You know, they weren't short. Well, yeah. Well, that's, but that's why they call Capri. Okay, okay, okay. Uh-huh. You're right about that. You're right about that. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then he had the bandana, you know, and it was like this was Geronimo, you know, coming, you know, and... Um, and then he just—he was just laser focused, and 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 I know I'm going a little bit off topic, but I think you know even—I mean I—I'm not gonna try to diagnose a player. I don't care what it is, because whatever it is, I don't even want him to get healed. I want him to keep it, okay? Just, <laughs> just, keep, just keep it. But I also think the rigidity of his coach, um, 
Uncle Tony. Uncle Tony was just very, very rigid with Nadal. And, um, and um, you know, even afterwards, he didn't want him to feel any kind of favor or privilege or anything. So I did buy his book, One for Me and One for You. I read my copy. I don't think it, you read your copy. It, it's, it's on the list. I'm, I'm going to get to it. <laughs> yeah, you had about four years. <laughs> So are you saying that you think Nadal is going to probably end up on top of that, that group of three? I think he has as good a chance as anybody else, if not better. Because, like I said, he is definitely, um, is, I, I don't know, he has, a, he has a, a mentality, a strong mentality that he just, you, you saw the U.S. Open? No one thought Nadal was going to win. Medvedev. Yeah, Nadal won two set. Medvedev won two set, but Medvedev was uh, just you—you you, you didn't see that happening. But right. there's just no quit in him, and and uh, and for him to be this close to Roger, and to have won a Grand Slam not only in singles but also in doubles and also in the Olympics. Did I get yep, that right? That, that's right. Uh, he and uh, Mark Lopez, I believe, was his partner. That's right. That's right. So, um, um, and yeah, you know, he has, he has, he has a very good chance. In fact, I kind of think he might pull it out. You know, Agassi has said for a long time that Nadal is the goat, and he and Steffi, Steffi said, "Let's table this. Let's table this. Let's wait till the career their careers are over." But 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 Agassi has said that several times. Okay, so speaking of Federer, uh, one of the newest events that we have on the professional circuit for the men is the Labor Cup, and um, I know that you have watched it the last three years or its first three years that it's been on. You know what have been your thoughts? I love the Labor Cup. I just love it. I mean, I love it. Now, you know, that, that, that's Federer's brainchild. So he goes all the way to the head of the class for that. Because <laughs> I, think, I think that is the best three-day tournament. I mean, Kenneth, you know, um, there I go. Mother called him Kenneth. Um, that's fine. Uh, uh, you know, that is such a suspenseful, you know, um, tournament. It's only three days. And in each of the three three years, the final uh, uh, the, the team that won uh, did not do so until the final match, and it right. was never the player that you thought who would be playing that final game. Here you have, and I'm sure your tennis fans know about the Labor Cup, but here you have Europe going against the entire world, and um um. Uh, Nadal and Federer, they're on the same team. They're no longer competitors. Even Djokovic, you know, has played on the Labor Cup team one year. And uh, it is it caught fire right away. When you talk to people about the Labor Cup, people just love it. I mean, I like all attendance, but I have to say right now, the Labor Cup is my favorite. I cannot wait until September comes again. Right, me too. And and as a reminder to our listeners, Brothers on Tennis, we plan to be there. It is in Boston this year, so keep tuned for that. 
Is there a ticket for mother, mom? Uh, I'll let you know when Ticketmaster has them on sale. <laughs> hey, listeners. Hey, listeners. Tell my son to make sure I'm at the Labor Cup. Please tell my son to make sure I'm at the Labor Cup. We're gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna create a GoFundMe page oh. uh, to pay for my mom's expenses uh, to go to the labor cup. So hey mom, I know you you had mentioned that there may be a couple of uh, hot topics that you had. Uh, do you is there anything you wanted to bring up? Well, you know, I think uh, we kind of hit on uh, some of that, and and the one was. Um, um, the um, uh, Hawkeye, you know, okay. having having uh, that to be the official um, coach, if you will, even though it's electronic, you know, as to whether a, a point is good or or not. The only other thing that I mean, not the only other thing, but I'm just so excited about the future of tennis. Even when you think that. It can't get any better. And I'm not even talking about a tournament. I'm just talking about players. I just love me some Ash Barty. Ash Barty <laughs> from, from Australia. I mean, there's no pretense in her. I mean, she goes out there and play like she's going to a day job or whatever and just gets the job done. Her team is very, very supportive. And she seems, they seem like a happy family. Uh, who would have thought? That's what I said. Tennis is just so... It's so exciting. Who would have thought if you had given tennis players and said, name three people who would end the year as number one on the women's side and they would have won their first Grand Slam? Uh, and, let's, and let's add to that. So not only did she end the year number one in singles, she ended the year number one in doubles as well. And let's not forget that the Grand Slam that she won first was the one she was most unlikely to win. The exactly. French Open on, on clay. Every, it, it seems like her game is suited to faster surface, surfaces like grass and hard court and indoor. I don't think anybody, including Ash Barty herself, thought that she was going to win the French Open in 2019. You know, she. you can tell she's a very humble person. Um, you know, you can tell that there's pretty much no pretense about her. Uh, even when she's talking to her coach, you know, a lot of players, when they're talking to their coach, it's like the players aren't even paying any attention. She is nodding her head or showing that she's agreeing or she's asking questions. Um, she is just, she is, there's nothing pretentious about her. And I just wish her continued success. The other thing I did want to bring up, um, uh, um, What's a, what's what's her name uh, from Japan? Osaka. Oh, Osaka. Yes. Well, you know, Kenneth. You know, you know my <laughs> son. You know, I fell out with her when she first came on. I thought, oh, this girl is good. And you know, then she got Sasha to be her coach. And I'm thinking, hey, that's good. Sasha's been around Serena, so you know he can really help her. And in his maiden year. Uh, as a coach, his first year as a coach, that was the year that they created this award that uh, to name a coach of the year. And he won that the first year that that award was given. He won coach of the, coach of the year, not Serena's coach, 
<laughs> not Serena's coach, not Patrick. Sasha won it. And Shade. he got her, he she won two grand slam. New kid on the block. Two grand slam. Then all of a sudden you hear he's no longer gonna be her coach. She's not happy. She doesn't and she's not happy. And so she fires him. She let him go. So she hired one of the, uh, I guess, the uh, assistant coaches, you know, the guy she hired yeah. on her team. And I have nothing against him. I'm sure, you know, who would refuse being promoted, you know. But she was with him um, the rest of the year, of, and, and, and she didn't win anything. So I'm happy that she's happy because she wasn't happy when she won two grand slams. She let and, Sasha go. But when and, he, and, and, and mom... She didn't even keep him for the rest of the year because remember she let, um, and I can't remember if it was Jameer Jackson or the other one, I forget the names, but uh, no, because right now she technically, I think is being coached by her father. Well, she was, I think the father did step in, but what I'm saying is what's not, to, what's to be unhappy about when you a new girl on the block, you know, you, you, you know, you're very young and you just coming out and you went back to back grand, you went back to back grand slam and, and, um, and you're not happy. I mean, come <laughs> on. Uh, so, you know, I respect her game. She, she has a very good game. What softened me a little bit with her and, and, and you kind of helped me see this because I was ready just to be done with her forever. But the way she treated Coco Goff when Coco Goff lost to her and she knew how that felt. I mean, I think everybody was just so touched by that moment. So right, that was, was like, yeah. It was like, well, okay, okay, all right, all right. You're not on the hot seat, but, you know, I just, <laughs> let's, let's just leave it at that. Okay, she's not a, so that was a, that was a beautiful moment. That showed it, it was. the character. That was a beautiful moment in all sports right, to see. Right, right, right. Um, what was the question? Did you ask me something else? No, no. I was just leaving it open for you for anything you wanted to say before we closed up this episode. Is it time to go already? Oh, it's I guess that's the way that it time. is. When I, that's the way it is when I'm doing all the talking. But <laughs> but 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 but, uh, but you but you know that. Well, let me see. Um, I'm excited about, you know, um, what's coming up the new year. You know, I'm hoping that Serena, you know, I've seen pictures of Serena. She's looking fitter and fitter. And I'm hoping that she's going to bring it for the Australian Open. But I think Serena is not going to quit. Serena is the type of person, once she has a goal, you know, um, uh, she's going to pretty much stick to it to the best of her ability. I don't think she's considered uh, firing Patrick. So, Serena, if you're listening, one of the things you might consider is that Sasha is Sasha is no longer with who was he coaching, Dennis? Well, he's no longer with uh, Kiki Milanovic, but he has already signed up to work with Yekstremska for uh, next year, so... He'll drop it like a hotcake if Serena wants uh, Well, just like you dropped Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> Shade. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, anyway, 
on, on, on that note, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Mom, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on and to share some of your knowledge with our listeners. Uh, it was spicy and it was entertaining. Um, well, before we before we before we go, uh, son, uh, I had this wonderful opportunity of working with your producer, and I know he's done other things before, and but I have never worked with him before. And for those listening, you probably see I haven't worked with many people before, and some people may never want me to be a part of them. But uh, the producer was just so professional and um, and and gave me some tips, so. Uh, I hope I did okay, and um, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And the producer is her nephew, so you got all that family love going on right there. So uh, let me just open that up real quick. (laughs) But anyway, as you know, we're in the off-season on the pro tennis circuit right now, and so what we're going to do is we're going to give you three very special episodes coming up uh, for the next several weeks. Uh, my producer, Chet, who is my cousin and my mother's uh, nephew, uh, Isaac and myself, we're all selecting our favorite episodes from the year, and we're going to reshare them with you. So if you hadn't listened to them, uh, take a listen, and I'm sure we'll each be letting you know why we picked that episode as our favorite episode. And, so, to the view, and to the viewing public, I'm sure I'll be one of those favorites. This is Kenneth's mom signing off. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for that, Mom. <laughs> and this is your boy, Bryce. And on behalf of Brothers on Tennis and our good friend, Isaac, we will talk to you later. Take care. <laughs>